besides the screen you spent most of your time staring at this week, chances are you are also captivated by a big screen video installation. From billboards to scoreboards, we inform and entertain audiences with our big screen solutions. Visit bigscreenvideo.com.au to see how BSV can bring your space to life. From the grassroots to the elite, from the juniors to the pros, covering the Aussies trekking the globes to the champions internationally. Welcome to the First Serve, your home of tennis. Good evening, everybody. This is the First Serve. It is great to have you with us on this Monday night. We're an hour earlier than our normal 7pm time slot. Looks like we're going to be in this slot for the short term in this period of uncertainty as we've called it, that we are all facing, which we're not complaining about in terms of the time slot, that is. But hope you're holding up okay out there. For those that are being affected, it is a surreal world at the moment. As I said on the show last week, if the first serve can assist in some way, I'm not promising the world, but if we can assist in some way, just reach out to us via our email, thefirstserve.sen at gmail.com. If you're stumbling across us for the first time, the first serve is your home of tennis. Brett Phillips joined by the 2015 Newcomb medalist, owner of the fastest serve, ladies and gentlemen, ever recorded in the history of tennis. He's with me tonight, not alongside me. This is the modern way, Grothy. You're on one side of town, I'm on the other, but we're together. Good to hear your voice. Well, you pumped me up there, Brett, but I'll tell you what I am now is a home handy man. My wife, Brett, has me doing every single chore that I've put off doing for the last two and a half years since we moved back to Australia. I've built a fence. I've stained my deck. I've got to start doing things a little bit slower because she's rushing me all around the house, but it's good to be here tonight, that's for sure. All right. Just give a bit of a feel, Grothy, for home life at the uh, the Groth uh, pad there, very palacious uh, pad there. You've got the dogs, you've got you know, Brits working from home. Yeah, what, what's it like? Uh, I mean, you know, we're, we're, I'm seeing footage, been watching the news in the last hour. These people are holed up at Crown and Metropole, not a bad little uh, hotel set up, a little pokey for two weeks, but how is life in the, uh, the Groth household? Yeah, it's okay. We've got a decent setup. Britt, as you mentioned, is working from home. We've actually had her sister and her two dogs staying. So we've got four dogs in the house <laughs> at the moment. Um, yes. I've been spending most of my time outside. We've got a little bit of a gym set up, which I've started to get myself reacquainted with because nice. it's certainly not a place that I've been for the last couple of years, as, as you well know. Um, yep. But no, it's okay. And then about five o'clock, I think I uh, I have enough of the day and enough of being in the house and after taking the dogs for a walk at the moment, I've actually got a uh, a Carlton draft long neck st- sitting alongside me. So it's uh, yeah, it's interesting times. It's it's been fine for a week or so. Um, we've been pretty good with trying to obviously self isolate, but who knows how I'm going to feel if we're here for another week, month, three months, six months. Yeah. Who knows at this stage? Yeah, it is. It's very very uh, strange. If you want to have a chat to us tonight. Uh, you can uh, certainly uh, do that. One three hundred seven three six seven three six, or on the text tonight. Oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Grothy, you've got a bit of ground to cover tonight, from the elite through to the grassroots. We've got a couple of chats uh, coming up, but the big story right now is Wimbledon. When we think of tennis, we think of Wimbledon. It is. Uh, the most prestigious of all the slams, uh, the only one played still on the grass at this unbelievable setting there at the All England Lawn Tennis Club. And in an interview on Germany's Sky Sports Network yesterday, the German tennis administrator, Dirk Hordoff, who I think we had Dirk on our show uh, going back 
uh, three or four years ago. I can't remember exactly the reason, but he's well known. You see his face around uh, the various tennis tournaments. He has revealed the cancellation of Wimbledon's 2020 edition. Also, the grass court events before Wimbledon will also be cancelled. Now, we believe that emergency board meeting is around Wednesday, but Dirk is going early. He's quote here, the grass tournaments have already decided not to play. They are awaiting the announcement of Wimbledon on Wednesday. These are not rumours. They will announce the cancellation. Yeah, I mean, I found it hard to believe that they were going to play with the limited amount of time and, and the current state, not just worldwide, not just here in Australia, but Europe is probably so much worse than most places. Obviously, the ability for this COVID-19 to be able to travel um, across borders so easily there. So um, it's interesting that he's gone and jumped the gun. I'm sure Wimbledon would have loved to have put out a statement alongside the ATP and the WTA to obviously, um, you know, put their side of this thing out. But he's come out and said it, and I think it probably just confirms what everybody's already been thinking. So just to uh, give people a little bit of perspective here, I mean, Wimbledon's working with the shortest window because of the grass. Now, Wimbledon Court's... For those that aren't aware of there, are built from the perennial ryegrass, which is cut to about eight millimetres. That, according to the club, requires about 13 days of hard and dry soil underneath to play properly without incurring any damage. But even before that, it takes around 15 months for the courts to be seeded and cut and installed to perfection. And given the weather patterns, Grothy, as we know in the UK, the season to have a championship quality grass court is relatively short with members been able to play the regular courts from around May to September. So with Roland Garros announcing in the last week they're going to try and grab that little window late September, early October. That's if we have any tennis go ahead this year. Uh, the window is so short for Wimbledon. So we expect uh, the announcement to probably be this week that for the first time since World War Two, it's likely to be cancelled. Yeah, they've got about a month's leeway there. We remember, obviously, London hosted the Olympics back in 2012 and... Uh, they actually played on the courts at Wimbledon for the tennis events. That was about a month after Wimbledon, uh, the dates of Wimbledon took place. So they've got a little bit of movement there with their dates. But other than that, if it, if it looks like cutting into that US hardcourt swing and there's no flexibility in the calendar, and if they don't decide to do what Roland Garros do and just pick themselves up and throw themselves in a week yeah. that suits, um, yeah, it's highly unlikely that event's going to go ahead. Grothy, are you resigned to the fact that we are unlikely to have any tennis. I mean, how are you reading them? I mean, this is a, we're watching the news constantly. We're stuck in our houses. It's updates, you know, three or four press conferences a day by the government, by Daniel Andrews here in Victoria. We're seeing, you know, obviously the catastrophic situation right throughout Europe. Are you resigned to the fact, just because of its global nature and the fact that this pandemic is at different stages in different parts of the world, that how on earth... And I'm just thinking, yeah, how on earth are we going to try and align everyone so that we have a full complement of players who can be able to travel and actually uh, partake in some sort of calendar this year? Do you, do you think 2020 is a write-off or do you see some optimism possibly? Uh, well, it's the 30th of March right now here, 6.10pm on a Monday night in Australia. I hope that we aren't writing things off just yet. Um, you know, We're going to be three months into the year. Look, it's going to be hard. I still have hope that maybe by the end of July um, we can be playing, obviously trying to be optimistic about things. Um, yep. Now, I don't know whether that's a reality. I don't know whether the numbers coming out of China, and I don't want to get into just you know talking numbers and, and about the virus, but if they're saying that they're you know getting no new cases and, and all this stuff, um, 
you know, is is it possible? I don't know. I mean, at the moment, it doesn't look great for everything in in the near future. Hmm. Um, but I would still like to, and I'm sure as the players and the administrators and and the fans of this sport that we that we love so much. I'm sure everyone would like to still be optimistic that at some point we can still get some tennis play this year and the first year of a new decade is not a complete write-off. Uh, we hope so. Uh, Brett Phillips, Sam Groth with you tonight. The first serve, this is your home of tennis. We uh, slotted into uh, 6 o'clock for the next uh, few weeks, but it obviously is a moving beast. So we're here at least 6 o'clock uh, tonight. Now, interestingly, Grothy, the tennis calendar appears to be a pretty significant consideration for the IOC as it begins, obviously, tackling some new dates for Tokyo next year. And obviously, I think John Coates has been quoted in the last 24 to 48 hours. We want to more or less finalise the dates in four weeks' time. So they're obviously trying to keep that window between Wimbledon and also the US Open as the ideal time. But obviously, uh, tennis, I suppose the aficionados right now, don't know quite how the effects of this year are going to affect the tennis calendar for next year. Yeah, I mean, I think if we get a complete blowout and and no play, like we just discussed, obviously, as we said, hopefully that doesn't happen. But that's the window that the Rio Olympics took place in. Um, It's probably the most logical window for it to be played. Um, Yeah, obviously, tennis is not going to have a say over over what the Olympics does. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think if if we get to the stage that it's as bad as it is this year, you just basically scrap everything in 2020 and you pick the calendar up and you drop it in 2021. And that's Mm. unless all of the governing bodies and the seven stakeholders that we've heard so much about in the last seven days uh, come together and actually, you know, put together maybe a calendar that's a little more suitable. Just a final one before we slip into break, Uh, just from a Wimbledon perspective and looking at history, Serena and Roger. I mean, this, this was, this is the slam that is the best one for those two. Serena trying to get to 24 Roger trying to get just that little bit of a buffer from Rafa to get to 21, both right at the twilight now, approaching the age of 40. I mean, this was the one slam that they possibly, you know, could still have a chance of winning. Yeah, well, I th- thought it was going to be hard for both of them, and I've been probably pretty open in saying um, that that for both of them to try to win another slam is going to be tough. Um, you know, and as you said, it was probably their best opportunity, a surface that can, even though it's as good as it is now, be slightly unpredictable um, any time a natural surface, you're a chance of throwing up some upsets. So um, another year on, it's hard to see either of them coming back in another year's time and people say, well, their body hasn't had that year of being beaten up playing through 2020, but Mm. it doesn't matter. I think a year of sitting around and and your body just getting older, it's not going to be easy. So, you know, we may have seen and... There'll be people out there, there's Roger fans, there's Serena fans who'll say you're just writing them off, but I think we may have seen the last opportunity for those two to to win a slam. You're right. I think before this discussion, what Serena, before this uh, episode of the coronavirus, I mean, I think we all thought it was going to be tough for uh, for both anyway, just the the current climate of the men's and the women's tour, but this makes it uh, even tougher. You can keep up to date with the world of tennis via our website, thefirstserve.com.au. You can go back and listen to all our past shows, new theme podcast, Crunching the Numbers, going uh, beautifully. The fourth edition will be released uh, later this week with Mark Safoulis and Shane Leonage looking at all the coaching and data side of the game. Aussies only. Uh, we'll be speaking to quite a few of the Aussies over the next uh, few weeks who are uh, trying to find uh, many things to do. Plenty of daily written features, so check out our website, thefirstserve.com.au. And, 
also on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. I've got a, a special guest coming up next. Uh, Grothy and I, it's the great uh, wonders of modern technology. We linked up with Georgia in Europe earlier today and we'll tell you about that little story next. Matt Dwyer to join us from TA as well because there's a lot of the coaches and the clubs who are really been affected right across the country. You're listening to The First Serve, your home of tennis. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back. Great to have you with us on a Monday night. Brett Phillips alongside the uh, Newcomb medalist from 2015, Sam Groth. Uh, Grothy, I reckon we get straight into our chat we had earlier today. Uh, George's Sophia Shapitava. Now, not a household name uh, for everyone following uh, tennis, but she's ranked about 371 in the world. We know tennis bats are very, very deep. She's from uh, Georgia, as I mentioned. She started an online petition asking the International Tennis Federation and the tours, the ATP and the WTA respectively, to provide financial support to players during the tennis shutdown uh, due to the global health crisis. And Grothy and I caught up with her a little bit earlier today. Like all of us, uh, just stuck in our little cubby box for now. It's very strange because like, it's like an injury timeout. You just basically don't have injury. But also the strange part is like everyone is on a timeout, so you can't really watch tennis. In my country, all the tennis clubs are closed, so you can't even go to see a tennis court or coach or do any tennis activities. It's really strange. It's That's very unnatural to me because I've played tennis for like 20 years, over 20 years, so it's something I've never done. I don't see any competitions. I don't see Grand Slams happening, and that is actually scary. That's something I've been watching since I'm a little kid. The most scary, as you said, is the fact that we don't know when we're going to continue, and yeah, it's just strange. One thing that got Grothy and I's attention, and I'll let Sam uh, jump in here, is we, we read just recently that you started an online petition asking the ITF and the tours to look at providing financial support to players during the tennis shutdown. Now, for anyone listening to our show, they understand the full spectrum of tennis life. I mean, right now, yes, a Roger Federer and a Rafael Nadal and a Serena Williams can, can sit back and say, OK, I'm not going to be really affected financially here. They've made a lot of money out of the sport. But for, for so many players, that is not the case. Can you give us a bit of background to your petition and, and what you hope to achieve out of it? Well, even Roger Federer and the stars are getting affected financially. It's just the difference of this effect is like someone just doesn't sell a commercial or something bigger and some people cannot pay rent. This is a topic that's been going on in tennis for years and years. It's not a problem that just appeared right now or probably will disappear tomorrow. Obviously it existed and unfortunately I think it will exist for a longer time. It's just right now it's very unusual situation, something that never happened and it hits everyone very hard. I have many players obviously that are ranked lower 150 and 200 in the world and I know many many players who struggle to pay rent not next month not in two months like already this month the difference and the gap between prize money on the higher tournaments and on the lower tournaments it's incredible when you go on Grand Slam even when you compete in qualifying you gain around 15 grand before taxes but still and when you go to 25 60,000 and let's say you play qualities sometimes level of this tournaments is also pretty high you lose the first round and like if you play 25 and you lose first round of qualities after the taxes you're looking at nine dollars and depending on the country maybe 15 
which is not even a meal. I got a lot of negativity of this petition because people think that I'm asking for funding of a tennis player's tennis career. Actually, that's not the case. I'm talking about the fact that many tennis players cannot pay for their everyday life. Not everyone has someone who can help them out. Like I have, for example, him, my coach, he's helping me out a lot right now, but not many people do. I just think the only problem is that we're not working with a contract like any other company. So obviously we cannot oblige anyone to give us anything. But it's a very like lose-lose situation because I was talking to a lawyer, to my friends that work for government. Like we don't go in a criteria where government is obliged to help anywhere because officially for the government, we are not unemployed. We are not poor. We pay the taxes and pretty high taxes. So they won't help us. But ITF, WTA, TP, no matter any organization is not obliged to help us because officially we are freelancers and we know what we're doing. I just think that when it's almost like apocalyptic situation and something special, maybe organizations can stick together and help out somehow these players, maybe not with a huge amount of money, but something to go through. And I just think it's a legit thing to ask. And it's not like I'm asking something for myself. It's a problem that exists and maybe someone who can do something about it for this short period of time. I obviously played for a long time. I've played at the highest level, you know, Grand Slams. I've also played and battled week to week through futures, through challenges. And Brett, you and I had the chance last week, obviously, to speak to David Haggerty and to Craig Tiley and touch a lot around the organization and is this time for tennis to, to rework its structure. But I think I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here because all of these events aren't actually, even though they're sanctioned by their individual tours, aren't funded by these tours. So the ITF tournaments aren't funded by the ITF providing you prize money. They're either funded by private sponsors or federations who, who are putting these tournaments on. So I I guess my question back to you is I understand the players are in this situation like a lot of people who are self-employed are at the moment Brett you and I probably fall under a, a similar banner right now where we're not employers of anybody in particular other than ourselves my question is how would you propose the ITF or the ATP or the WTA come up with this money to support the players in this situation I understand everything and I understand that the tournaments are held by sponsor and everything but I'm pretty sure that's not the only income that that sports organization have like ITF, WTA, and ATP. I'm pretty sure they, they have some airtime cutoffs, even the betting websites. We sell live scores. We have many things which make them gain money, including our data, which we provide by, by our mentors. And I kind of think that these huge organizations have some resources that can secure something. I'm not saying a lot, again, because I understand that everyone is doing a lot, but something. And yeah, I agree that many people are in the same situation, but all the people that are in the same situation, they apply or they try to help themselves somehow, whether it's with government, whether it's with people they work to, well, they try to find a way out. So I'm kind of also just trying to find a way out. It's such a huge group of people we're looking at and how... I guess it's, it's probably not a question for you. It'd be a question for when these conversations went on further, maybe. But for example, if I put myself in the situation, I still hold a protected ranking. So if the ITF came out and said, I haven't played tennis for two and a half years. But if the ITF came out and said, well, we're going to give everybody ranked inside the world's top 300 $500 a week, could I activate my protected ranking then and access that money as a player that is still based inside that ranking? There's so many questions around this. The whole tennis community needs to get behind their players. But it's such a bigger thing, I think, than 
just providing money to the players as a payment during this period because I personally don't think Brett that there's the guarantees either you know you could turn up at a tournament and I'm sure we, we could jump on and look at your record just as an example because we're speaking to you from this year and look at how much you've made through to March or from when the tournament starts and for most people that's probably not enough to live on so how much would you expect that the players would need to be able to survive during this time? Honestly I don't know the number I just talk about the basic idea of that I'm hearing it out and maybe helping with something they think they can help with I'm not giving a complete number oh I want a 50 grand for three months or go through the three months obviously no I'm just that's exactly what is written down there as much as they can as much as they think they can or whatever they think they can it's not a demand it's just a try and they also can be reasonable I mean not like something that I'm gonna sit down here in Tbilisi Georgia and say oh look I want to play tennis I want to continue my professional career please give me 50 grand to eat to practice pay my coach no that's obviously not my case I'm, I'm just saying whatever they can or can come up with. It's actually difficult. Actually, the sentence you said, that's very interesting because also the players who have a protected ranking for like two years can come up and say, oh, I also want my share. You know, we all had a situation when we saw an injured player show up on a Grand Slam just to take money. And this situation happened and might happen. And I think there is a chance to come up with some idea. Maybe someone who has protected ranking from this year could be more affected than someone, I'm sorry, with all respect to you not the player who has the protected ranking from two years ago you know my protected ranking would run out this year though so this would be my last chance to come back to tennis so that would then disadvantage me from actually being able to play a sport if i i have no intention to coming back (laughs) i will say this to you as well i'm quite happy doing what i'm doing so i'm not putting up my hand to do that but there are so many moving parts if this was to happen difficult subject also uh, because there are also many, many players apart from you who have a protected ranking. Yeah, that could be very complicated depending on how many players demand and what they demand. That's why I'm saying if, because I honestly don't really believe in that, but something comes up, there might be a reasonable number and a reasonable regulation on who and how to get it. If there's no tennis played for the remainder of 2020, and we're trying to read the tea leaves here as a changing discussion every single day but the more and more you look at it and its global nature and how difficult it might be to actually get tennis back running this year we hope that is not the scenario where do you think this leaves so many players trying desperately to make a living out of the sport do you think we're going to lose some players to tennis where where does it leave them i think obviously because from the players I have conversation with like I talk to players mostly for your understanding between like 200 and 400 ranking like I honestly don't have even the connection to even lower ranks but I think they struggle even more so I've been talking to like 10 to 20 people a day on average in this past couple of weeks well at least they need to work throughout the summer and couple of months to gain back some money to start to travel again if they can because for instance well how do we get money we coach we sparring sell some lessons or do something in the tennis clubs in my country for example that's not the case i cannot do it because all the tennis clubs are closed so everyone is talking oh if they cancel till September or if they cancel till December, if they open the tennis clubs, well, I'll probably work for like four or five months to gain some money because most of the income of tennis players like lower ranks is club matches in Germany, Italy, France. I play them myself. Everyone plays that. They are also canceled. So obviously you cannot gain money there. You cannot coach. So nobody in this ranking 
has enough savings to provide food on the table to pay the bills than to have enough money to stay fit plus then travel for tournament that just doesn't exist if someone has enough savings to pay for the bills rent everyday life that someone for sure has no money to start to play a professional tennis straight away so obviously if they want quit they will take a time off to gain money back if they start to work and they they go like okay i worked for six months now i don't think i have it in me to come back and start to get fit again and play matches obviously i think many many will quit has there been any communication from the ITF or the tours just to the players keeping players up to date what's the line of communication been and how many signatures have you been able to get on that petition and what's been maybe some of the opposition to it that you sort of you touched on earlier petition right now has over the 1150 signatures but it's still running I just started it last week I don't know like the only email I got from IDF was please wait for our answer and we will come back to in a couple of days that was two weeks ago they didn't come up with everything and I asked the same question I asked in the petition and everything, obviously the financial question, can ITF help us? Can you do something? They answered that email with the email that was copy pasted and they explained to me how the points will work, that the points are frozen. And then obviously I answered with another email, but that was not my question. I was asking if there is a possibility for ITF to help me financially, help players financially. Is there any chance that that can happen? But I still didn't get any answer on that. Regarding the petition, well, obviously tennis players really like this idea because not the top ones, but most of them actually, the biggest part, they struggle. And But I also had my share of negativity because some people don't even click on the petition. They decided that it's a fundraiser for me personally and they just give me negative comments gain money in a bad situation and they won't donate anything. And yeah, that's not what I'm asking. Well, some players also just don't like it because I started it because we know how it happens sometimes in sports because some people don't like you and they go like, oh, that's a great idea, but she started it, so I will probably not stick to it. It's been like 60 is positive, like by 40 still, everyday basis, it's very negative comments. You've spent a lot of time, obviously, thinking this through. You've got a lot of time to sit at home. You can't get out on the court. Or what sort of number would you put in an ideal world if you had to say to the itf this is what i'm looking for obviously you, you at the moment it's been a very broad i've read through the petition two or three times now it's, it's quite a broad ask it, it's saying you know we need to do something as much as this is what we need to do if yeah. you had to put a figure on where we're at or what you would need what would that roughly look like well it depends what we're talking about just to go through right so i don't know i honestly don't know it depends on person and it depends on the player because we've let's say in my parents apartment so i'm not paying a rent so for me this number would be slightly lower for than for the players that are paying grants, for example. I don't know what is the minimal that they can pay because it also depends on the country because minimal survival number in different countries is different. Let's we said we're going to give everyone $100, 250 players, men and women, $100 for 12 weeks while we're not playing. That's $600,000 that has to be raised. And $100 for every player a week is not very much money when you think about living. The number grows quite quickly when you start yeah. to actually really it put does. it into practice. Well, I don't know if you heard about it. There is a lawyer company. It's called Eaton and Price. They are French-based. They started to do something uh, 
parallel to me because French players were asking and demanding. So there is a lawyer company who tries to help players as well, just like me, but in a more, let's say, legal way, because if I do a petition online and I'm just talking openly about it, just to be heard, they are actually gathering the papers and trying to put in the paperwork to create a tennis solidarity fund. I read their papers yesterday and it says that they want a 2,500 euros per week per player, but their range is a bit less. Like they try to help players from top 50 to top 500. And on ATP side, it's from top 34 to top 500. And they made this number of players smaller to provide more money. I obviously think they left a room for negotiation. I do think this number is impossible because, yeah, I don't really think it's realistic. But if we go from that perspective, I would think that 2,500 per month, I think would do for players to leave. Again, I don't know how much money they have. I don't know what they can pay. And I don't know who has how many bills paid, you know? So not my thing to decide. So that is the voice of Georgia's Sofia Shepetava. She's ranked 371. She started a petition for the ITF, the ATP and the WTA to financially support players. We'll see where it goes. I'm going to get Grothy's response a little bit further on the other side of the break. So we need to slip in a break. Matt Dwyer from Tennis Australia. And I do want to pose a couple of questions to the man with the fastest serve before we go tonight. The first serve, this is your home of tennis. The first serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back on this Monday night, Brett Phillips and Sam Groth in the uh, 6 o'clock slot, if you don't mind. We're quite happy about that, and uh, it might be for the next uh, few weeks. All thanks to Yarra Tennis Coaching. The coach is doing a little tough at the moment. We're about to have a chat to Matt Dwyer at Tennis Australia, a Melbourne's award-winning coaching program at Eaglemont Tennis Club since 2002. They've got 20 teams, junior and adult programs, private lessons. Shane is one of the great coaches going around. YarraTennis.com.au is a great supporter of our show. Just before Matt Dwyer, Grothy, can we just tidy up our chat there? Sophia uh, Sepatava, the Georgian-ranked 371st player in the world. Now, she wasn't necessarily demanding all the bodies come forward and pay, but she's put it forward. Can I just get the wash up? And just someone who can give us a perspective of to a life as someone that's, you know, experienced all the spectrum, Sam. Yeah, I mean, I think listening back to it, it's going to be hard, I think, for the players to get anything out of these organisations. If I look at it just from an ATP perspective and where I sort of came through. So the ATP every year has a pension program that any... Uh, monies that they raise and the profits from the tour from that year get put back into running the organization and then into the players. So the ATP actually only owns two events. Now it co-owns the ATP Cup alongside Tennis Australia that we saw at the start of the year and it owns the ATP Tour Finals. All the other events it runs are sanctioned or licensed out. So it all run independently. And then every year there's 125 singles guys and 40 doubles guys get a pension fund. So anything, I guess, that's left gets paid into the pension fund for the players that contributed enough events from that year. So I think the years that I played, it was like you had to have played, I think, nine ATP main draws and and won a certain number of matches. Now, if the ATP was to start pulling money out of that pension fund to, say, put to people – uh, who are, if we take the equivalent of Sophia, you know, around that sort of 300 mark, yep. they're going to start filtering the money down to people that haven't actually contributed to that brand, as hard as that sounds for those lower-ranked players. So, I mean, it's going to be an interesting situation. I, I don't think, personally, the players are going to get anything out of these organisations. I don't think the lower-ranked players are going to get anything from the ITF or the WTA or the ATP. Um, you know, whether that's right or wrong, 
Um, everyone can make their own judgment call, but I sort of think that's just where we're at at the moment. Yeah, just where do people in tennis fit? So I want to bring in Matt Dwyer, Chief Tennis Officer at Tennis Australia. On the back of our chat with Craig Tiley last week, the CEO, and Craig obviously really wanting to focus on the domestic affairs here and making sure that everyone in tennis uh, can survive. Matt, it's always good to have you on the show. Hi, gents. It's pity it's not under uh, better circumstances, but always good to speak to both of you guys. Just on the back of what Sam said, I mean, obviously, I wanted to touch base with you, re the, the coaches. There's a lot of, you know, independent coaches, clubs who are now basically shutting the gates around Australia and uh, they're being affected, but the coaching businesses who are part of those clubs and, and the players, all, all the Aussie players, I mean, where do they actually sit, Matt, question without notice? But, I mean, you know, there's sole traders, there's people who run small businesses. I mean, if, if there's no tennis this year, there's actually even just from thinking from an Australian player's perspective, uh, there's, there's a lot who are going to have to really think about their, their future. It's a, it's a really difficult unknown and we're all still working our way through it. I mean, there's so many different parts of our business that we kind of invest in, and the players are part of that, and we're trying to weigh up you know, where where might this all go, what's the impact on tennis, and the players themselves. We already see players going out and getting you know, jobs in supermarkets because the uncertainty they're kind of facing, and, and we're trying to work our way through that with regard to what support we can offer them. But even when you think about the kind of off-the-court support that we can offer, and that's limited with regard to the spatial side of things. So, you know, we're trying to work out the best way that we can kind of support all elements of tennis. Um, it's a big ecosystem out there for the game to be healthy, and, and we're making decisions almost every day on, on those different parts. And I know I touched pretty much on the financial side of things, on how the ATP structure worked there for a moment. And probably the thing that I missed on touching on is I don't know what the tours are doing for the players in terms of their well-being and stuff. And Matt, I guess, with the Australian players, but also coaches and stuff, is Tennis Australia doing anything on that well-being side to be there for the players? Obviously, financially, it's tough, um, but just from like a mental health perspective as well? Yeah, the, um, the well-being stuff is, is an area that we've really focused on. So we're partnered with Beyond Blue um, for access around our players and coaches. And then tomorrow, we're going to be announcing a partnership with uh, EAP, who are an organisation that help organisations, uh, other businesses, um, with regard to, you know, the emotions that they kind of face and the wellbeing areas that they face. And, you know, I think that is, is a very, very important part of this. Um, you know, the finances, we're seeing great support from government and they're trying to work their way down as to how far the money might go. But people's and individuals' wellbeing, um, those working in the game um, and those working on the game, but equally, the role that tennis plays in the general community's wellbeing. And that was a big part of last week's conversation, that the government was becoming more stringent with regard to um, the limitations being placed on us. We still saw tennis playing a, a massive role in our communities for a wellbeing perspective and giving the people a chance to kind of get out and have a hit and tr try and provide as safe an environment as we possibly could. But this is something that I'm... I'm really, I'm really kind of passionate about because I think it's going to be, you know, tennis is already a harsh enough sport as it is for these players around on the tour. Um, you know, this is just adding a whole layer of complexity that we can never have planned for. And it's going to be a big part of the, the coming out on the other side is to ensure that people have the physical strength, the mental strength to be able to work their way through it. So, Matt, just from a, a grassroots point of view, so Tennis Australia has obviously made a recommendation as the governing body to all the 
clubs, coaches in terms of how they should operate. And obviously, you know, I heard a figure that ran about, you know, ninety percent of coaches here in Victoria basically ceased operation. Now we're going into stage three restrictions. I mean, it's pretty much going to be shut the gates. No activity can happen. I've heard about some clubs maybe you know, waiving fees for coaches who will pay the club a fee to run their business. And, you know, clubs have obviously, you know, got some money in the bank. I mean, tennis runs so differently at grassroots level to seasonal sports and that they're responsible for the redevelopment of assets. So they have to stockpile a lot more uh, money. Can you, and I know you probably haven't got all the answers for us tonight, but I mean, this is a really delicate stage, isn't it, for grassroots tennis coaches who make a living out of the game and in, in trying to survive this period? It's really delicate, and, and I've been speaking to coaches and clubs um, over the last fortnight and trying to find out exactly what we can do to support it. And what, what it seems to be the, the biggest opportunity is the government support, and those stimulus packages are out there now. And even tonight, we're seeing um, another layer of support out there, and um, and that's both happening at a federal level and at a state level. And we've got a team um in at TA now that's interpreting that and and all those different opportunities and we sent out a bit of communications over the weekend to coaches with regard to certain uh pots that they might be able to target but we want to really simplify that tomorrow and we're hoping that you know by the end of the day tomorrow every coach will be able to access the Tennis Australia website and be able to find a really simple um easy to use guide that actually signposts them to whatever financial support they can do through government and um, we're even seeing stuff coming through tonight, like funding for sole traders. So that mm. could help with the staff that they employ. So we want to make that really easy so as coaches don't have to trawl their way through non-specific tennis uh, government um, grants and to be able to say, OK, here are the one or two things that I can I can apply for and I can register as a as a low-hanging fruit to be able to get me through these next these next few weeks. Yep. Yep. And then we're okay. going to look at stuff like insurance and their update things as well. Absolutely. Hey, let, let's keep in touch. Uh, we want to, obviously, as far as we're concerned, keep the first serve running, despite the fact there is no tennis. There is so much to cover. We know we're uh, certainly listened to by the coaches and those at grassroots level. So hopefully um, you're across that news uh, tonight and more to drop in the next 24 hours. Matty, we'll get you back on again. Uh, appreciate the update. No problem, Chance. Thanks for your support. Matt Dwyer, Chief Tennis Officer at Tennis Australia. Going to slip in a break, come back, because I want to just... I want to ask Grothy a few questions. I just want to pretend that tennis is going ahead and it's normal because we need some sort of normality. That next on The First Serve here on SEN. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Indeed, as we race through a Monday night, Brett Phillips and Sam Groth, thanks to Top Agents Real Estate. If you're looking to buy, rent, sell or have that investment property managed, head to their website, top-agents.com.au. They'll get the best outcome, David and his team. Grothy, I've just got a couple I want to fire at you tonight. We'll see how many we can squeeze into about three minutes. Just thinking, you know, the tennis is going ahead. It's all is normal. Let's... We need to have a normal conversation to round out the show. Do you think we're ever going to see Maria Sharapova ever again play tennis? Well, I don't think so. I mean, I'd love to throw one back at you and ask if she deserves to be in the Hall of Fame after being done for you know, a, a drug ban for performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, that is certainly debatable. Very, very debatable. I think she's put together a very, very good resume in tennis. Yes. In time, we may sort of 
maybe forgive that part. I'm thinking a little bit on the spot. I need a bit of time to digest that one, Samuel. But you don't. <laughs> I, I don't think she'll come back and play again, though. I think she's done. Although Kim's come back eight years later. Retirement can be a loose word in sport. Although I know you're done. I've seen you the last two and a half years. You are not coming back. Now, I just want to ask you one about the Davis Cup. Let's just say that Spain recovers. Madrid is happening later in the year. Australia is qualified. We're in the same group as Croatia and Hungary. But we've got to sort out this doubles combination, Grothy. Now, these are some observations just from people that I talk to around the game in regard to Piers and Duckworth, okay? Piers's body language, it, you know, maybe didn't look great at times. Duckworth's footwork on volleys, maybe not adjusting his feet, didn't quite gel. We've got Luke Seville, Max Purcell, who know they need to step up and keep improving, but they're an all-Aussie duo. They're the only real all-Aussie duo playing consistent doubles right throughout the year. What do we do? But the other one I want to throw in here, Todd Woodbridge, who you work with closely, who I've worked with. I mean, one of the sharpest tennis brains going around. I often think he's just wasted in the commentary box for mine. Should he be actually part of the Davis Cup fold sitting on the bench? I mean, no one, Grothy, knows doubles better. No one's more qualified than Todd Woodbridge. And if it comes down to the doubles for us to go as far as we can at the Davis Cup finals, I mean, these are the little things that might just count. Thoughts, please. Well, that's a lot to unpack there in that statement that you've just put to me, Brent. But I'm going to start by saying they could almost play in Spain right now because they don't get any crowds anyway at the new Davis Cup finals. (laughs) Uh, That's number one. Uh, Number two, yes, the doubles is an issue for us. I don't think the pairing... And look, I've spoken to you about this. I I think when uh, John Pierce was number two in the world, he was our best doubles player. Um, Did what we see in Adelaide cement that as our best pairing? I'm not sure. I think when you look at the format that was played in the qualifying tie compared to the finals... Yep. It's very much more similar to the ATP Cup format where you could possibly throw two singles guys in together to make your best pairing. So okay. uh, do you bring someone completely from the outside like a Purcell and Savile and put them in or do you stick with a team that's in there and right. throw that in? I'm not sure. We're going to have to work it out and discuss it more next week. The first serve will be back at 6 next Monday night. Thank you. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.